1980, a brilliant American scientist co-wrote and narrated a 13-part television series on PBS, Cosmos, A Personal Voyage. It became, at that time, the most widely watched series in the history of American public television. 500 million people watched it across 60 countries. It was science, it was entertaining, and it was impactful. Carl Sagan had an ability to distill complex principles, tell stories, and utilize narrative techniques like no scientist before. The surface of the Earth is the shore of the cosmic ocean. On this shore, we've learned most of what we know. Recently, we've waded a little way out, maybe ankle deep, and the water seems inviting. Some part of our being knows this is where we came from. Isaac Asimov wrote to Sagan, you are my idea of a good writer because you have an unmannered style. He continued, one thing makes me nervous. It's entirely too obvious. You're smarter than I am. I hate that. Sagan was a scientist and a terrific communicator, and he was polarizing. Other scientists felt he was getting too much publicity for a scientist. One Nobel Prize winner, Fred Whipple, managed to keep Sagan from receiving tenure at Harvard. Another said, wherever you turned, there was one astronomer being quoted on everything. Today on Stories and Strategies, in this modern world of social media limited attention spans, we need good science communication and scientists brave enough to stand out amongst their peers. My name is Doug Downs. My guest today is Chantal Barrio. Salut, Chantal. Bonjour, Doug. Bonjour. Comment ça va? You're, you're actually, you're joining us from Sudbury, Ontario today. How are things in the Big Nickel today? Oh, they're wonderful. A little chilly, but but real well, real good. I do know. I lived in Sudbury three years. Um, you know where the black cat used to be? I, yes. I lived. I lived kind of above it. So Wow. I, you know the establishments in the surrounding area. I had the best rec room of all my friends. I was a lot <laughs> younger. <laughs> and before I was married. Of course, of course, of course, of yeah. course. A very colorful part of town. Indeed, yes. Chantel, you are the program director for the Science Communication Graduate Program at Laurentian. You have your PhD in science education from Curtin University in Perth, Australia, a BA with honours in psychology from the University of Western Ontario in London, of course, yep. and a master's in science communication from the University of South Wales in Cardiff. So you sort of saw the world as you were getting your education. I sort of did. Um, I have to say, though, that my Australian uh, jaunt it never came to fruition. I ended up doing my entire PhD remotely. Um, and when I was supposed to go and defend, it just it didn't happen. So I was able to. Well, I mean, it's good in the sense that I saved a lot of money. I didn't have to travel halfway around the world, but it was uh, it was all done remotely. Uh, but you missed out on the west coast of Australia and maybe like doing a walkabout across the middle, seeing Ayers Rock and over to yes, the east. Coast. I did. I missed out on all of that. Still oh. on my bucket list, though. So first question, what are you up to? I mean, Chantal, 
It's simply the natural order of things here. Scientists, engineers, they have wonderful skills in their domains, but they completely lack in communication capabilities and they need to hire us PR pros. You are kind of messing with the natural order of things here. Oh, that's funny. Um, our program was indeed inspired by the challenges that scientists often face when they're communicating their life's work um, with, with general audiences or with what we like to call non-specialist audience or non-expert audiences. So briefly, the history of all of this is I grew up working in a science center. I grew up working at Science North. And I got my first job there right out of, you know, what, when I was in high school, I worked alongside with scientists in the science center because that was really unique about Science North is that the people who work there have science degrees, they're scientists, and they were amazing communicators. I was like a 15-year-old learning from the best. And they really knew how to engage people with their passion and their language and their metaphors and their stories. And I was like, this is, this is really incredible. How, how, do, how does one study this? How does one study what makes good, effective science communication? And there was really nothing that existed um, around here. So after I had done my undergraduate degree in psychology, I was still looking for, you know, what exists and found that Australia had a couple of programs and that the UK was developing programs. So I'm going to age myself a bit. And that was in the late 90s. And um, Science North was actually instrumental in helping me um you know, pursue this passion of having a, a, a program that trains or that, you know, really teaches and studies effective science communication. And they they paid for me to go and do my master's degree in science communication in Cardiff, Wales, um, with the, you know, st uh, stipulation that I would come back and start one with um, Laurentian University, because physically, Laurentian University and Science North are literally like two kilometers apart on the same road. So it really made a lot of sense for us to combine our forces and um, and do this. So we modeled our program after after those with a decidedly Canadian um, perspective or aspect and views. And that, um, you know, the rest is kind of history. That was in 2005. And we've had such success and such demand. We've never gone a year without, um, you know, 20 to 40 applications for 10 to 15 spots. So it's been great. This really is great. Um, now, you need a science degree just to qualify for the courses you teach rhetoric communication strategy design theory socio-psychological influences i mean even even public engagement you're like teaching scientists how to listen to people and stuff yeah the the course the, sorry the program is really set out to um you know, help students who are coming from science backgrounds and, and they come from everywhere, like from either they have a BSc already or they have a master's degree sometimes in science. And even recently, we've had students come to our program who already have a PhD in science, um, whether it's biology or geology or physics or what have you. So the idea really is, yeah, to, to do a real shift, um, like a paradigm shift in the way that they think about how to communicate and engage, you know, I keep saying non-specialist or non-expert audiences. And that's really, that can be really, really challenging. So in the program, we really start them with um, this sort of theoretical foundations in humanities and social sciences, because for the, for the most part, these students haven't typically taken courses like that. Yes, all undergraduate science degrees usually require you to take one humanities course or one arts course. And yes, typically somebody will have taken maybe one English course when they were an undergrad. 
Um, but for the most part, they, the, the, the students that come to our program have really kind of distanced themselves quite a bit from, from thinking about the human mind and, and, and the art of persuasion, if you will, and how we use language and, and what are the social psychological influences on the way we think and the way we learn and the way we have opinions, you know, form opinions. So, so all of these things are really sort of the foundations, I guess, of the first term of our program. Like that's how we kind of take these students who are fresh out of a science degree and start to introduce them to the, to the world of, of communication. Well, tell me how this goes. So socio-psychological barriers, how does it go when you teach scientific minds that scientifically the human brain is irrational? In fact, scientifically, it is irrational to expect people to be rational. Yeah, that's uh, exactly it. That's it's really that's our point, really, for the whole program. So I got to tell you, it doesn't do it doesn't happen overnight. We we have our, our program last 12 months and and it lasts 12 months for a reason. It's helping very sort of logic focused people understand the, the like you said, the fundamentally irrational way that typically human beings process information or or make decisions is it's challenging and there's a lot that goes into knowing that and understanding that and that's why we have all the different courses like having a course for example in the rhetoric of communication like the rhetoric like you know rhetorical theory imagine you're you're somebody who's done like a physics degree and you're taking a course in rhetorical theory to understand what ethos pathos and logos means yes. right and how to appeal like how there are actually different appeals to a persuasive argument and it's not simply logos it's not just logic but you know emotion and and trust and credibility and all of those things go into it so we 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 give our we give our students a real good grounding right a real good foundation in the 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 way that the human mind and the and human language works Absolutely. We've all been living through this COVID thing for the last year, year plus. Um, uh, this is just my thought, but I, I think we're at a peak moment in history in which scientific evidence and advice is listened to and adhered to at a higher percentage than it otherwise would be. That's not to suggest that everyone is falling in line and following the rules that we haven't seen that with COVID, but the majority a lot of us have been listening and following the advice and uh, for your students human nature that will not last forever believe me we will break away from that yeah it, it you're right it it won't last forever and this is certainly a peak moment um for you know seeing how how important science communication is and in particular right now it's it's health communication and medical communication and and all that is covid related and yeah people are adhering for the most part and and listening to scientists and researchers and the right now i think it's also peak credibility as well like there's peak credibility with um our 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 health like our sorry public officers of health um, of course, you know, Bonnie Henry comes to mind out in BC and, and, uh, Dr. Tam and, and, you know, they're, they're really able to present themselves with, with credibility, trust, and, and some empathy as well. And I think the empathetic factor has been incredibly important. 
all of which is almost contrary to what a, what a scientist would see as most important, which would be lead with the facts, lead with the, you know, lead with the, the, the stats, lead with the, but it's, but it's not. So hopefully, to your point, Doug, there's a legacy that is left in the public's mind. Yeah, I, I think the public, you're right, will do its part. And scientists, and your your program is proof of this, scientists doing their part to step up and learn and practice understood science of communications, that's going to help as well. The, the other side to how well you present the information is how well you listen. And we talk about active listening skills. And we have a lot of public participation professionals that listen to this podcast. I, I want to play you a short clip from the TV series, Big Bang Theory, which has scientists, right? Yes, they do. <laughs> In this scene, Sheldon, played by Jim Parsons, needs Amy, played by Mayim Bialik, to use more active listening. First, there was PlayStation, a.k.a. PS1. Then there's PS2, PS3, and now PS4. And that makes sense. You'd think after Xbox, there'd be Xbox 2. But no. Next came Xbox 360. Hmm? And now, after 360, comes Xbox One. Why one? Maybe that's how many seconds of thought they put into naming it. Can you get the butter, please? Yeah. However, with the Xbox One, I can control my entire entertainment system using voice commands. Up until now, I've had to use Leonard. <laughs> then get the other one. Pass the butter. Get, hang on. I don't feel like you're taking this dilemma seriously. Fine, Sheldon. You have my undivided attention. Okay, now, the PS4 is more angular and sleek looking. No way! You, it, it's true, but the larger size of the Xbox One may keep it from overheating. Well, you wouldn't want your gaming system to overheat. No, see, well, you absolutely would not. And furthermore, the Xbox One now comes with a Kinect included. Included? Yes. Not sold separately. You, although the PS4 uses cool new GDDR5 RAM, while the Xbox One is still using the conventional DDR3 memory. Why would they still be using DDR3? Are they nuts? You, <laughs> see, that's what I thought. But then they go and throw in an ES RAM buffer. Oh, wait, wait a second. Who's they? The Xbox. You're kidding! No, I am not. And this ES RAM buffer should totally bridge the 100 gigabit per second bandwidth gap between the two RAM types. This is a nightmare. How will you ever make a decision? See, I don't know. What should I do? Please pass the butter! Oh, that's so wonderful. That is just fantastic. Love it. And kind of spot on in a yeah, completely overproduced maudlin sort of way. But yes, that's an exaggerated form of the human brain, I suppose. Well, it's it, but it it points to to our listening skills, right? As as researchers, as scientists, as people, as human beings, and wanting to be listened to and and acknowledged and you know actively listened to. One thing we talk about a lot in communications is that traditional paradigm of a transmission model of communication that has expired to, to mm -hmm. be honest comms people don't always live it we, we create monstrous powerpoint decks for presentations we still create websites that become burial grounds <laughs> for ancient giant pdf reports and, and we still think this is the most prevalent one we still think a perfectly crafted key message is the key part to making a difference i've seen i've seen executives spend hours 
on the perfect key message. And it's, um, it's irrational. So it might be irrational for me to think they should be rational. How has that experience been for your students and your graduates? What we've seen over the years is, yeah, you know, drilling home this point that the transmission model is expired and it's, you know, we always talk about dialogue model and how important it is to understand our audience and to know our audience and to know what they need and know what they want. And yes, we spend time on crafting key messages. Um, what the way that our students typically engage with this and, and what we foster, if I can say that, is that the key message is really just our guide. And is it's the guide that leads the way, but that there's a lot that has to come in in behind that key message that includes the audience, that includes their needs, their, you know, and, and specific. And in fact, one of the activities that is kind of a pinnacle in our in our toolbox of, of teaching materials, we call it our audience's framework or our communicate with intent framework. Um, so if you picture, um, I guess, like a, a stakeholders matrix or um, like a table. And on on one side of the table, the the, the column that goes down on the on the vertical um, column is different audiences, whereas on the top of the table, um, your your titles for each column are, you know, we start with knowledge and values. You know, what does this key audience know and value and believe in? The second column would be, you know, what is the goal of the communication with this audience in particular? What are you trying to achieve? Then we would go down again to the next column and identify the key message, you know, and, and lastly, it would be like the medium through which you're going to do this. And, and what that makes the students really realize is that you can't have the same key message or the same goal even for every different audience because every different audience has a different, uh, comes to you or has different needs, different values, different interests. They're coming with different motivations, different expectations, and you have to tailor your key message and your communication along with that, you know, to match it. Wow. If scientists are, are better able not only to communicate in a transmission function with the rest of us, uh, but if they're better able to interact, relate, and understand, will that have impact on government support for important research? I have to think it must. Absolutely, 100%. And in fact, you know, we're getting more and more demands from government um offices and 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 research offices from the federal and provincial levels asking us to come in and help their scientists and their researchers better communicate and lastly another good reason for better communication in science is to enable the ability for all of us to distill good science yeah. from bad science um, and all the gray in between. There's a societal trope that we need to dispel uh, that's actually growing and getting worse. The idea that, uh, quote, scientists, end quote, are unquestionable authority figures, all spouting absolute truths. The, the tragedy or, or reality of science is that they're not. And communication is the key to advancing greater understanding of exactly that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And the hobby horse that I am on right now or the hill I'm willing to die on right now is 
that we um, scientists, researchers, and the folks who train them to be good communicators like myself and my students, we need to be doing a better job at communicating about the process of science. And that science is not the societal trope that you've just talked about, which is the, it's just knowledge, it's just facts, and it's truth. Science is a process. And because it's a process, it evolves and it changes and it has to be member checked. It has to get refereed. It has to get, you know, it's a process. And whatever we know right now, the facts that we're, you know, we're, we're giving out right now is what we know to the best of science's abilities at this moment in time. And just really quickly, uh, people listening in the UK, other parts of Europe and Australia, there are schools. In fact, in the UK, this this is a strong piece in the UK. Absolutely. Yeah, very, very strong. UK and in um, Australia. Absolutely. They're the, I would say Australia was the first at, uh, at ANU and then the UK followed suit with the problems at Imperial, uh, pro programs at Imperial College at uh, University of uh, Western Western Wales and and University of Western England. There's there's tons of them out there. Thank you. Uh, merci bien pour votre temps aujourd'hui. Thank you. Oh merci. Thank you for your your efforts in French. <laughs> <laughs> that about sums it up. It's more franglais for me. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's great. Oh, I, I, thank you uh, for your time. I, I do appreciate it. I really appreciated it too. Thank you. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Chantelle Barriot, you can email her at cbarriot at Laurentian.ca. That is in the show notes to the episode. If you liked what you heard, we're hoping you choose to subscribe to Stories and Strategies and receive updated episodes automatically. We're also hoping that you choose to follow and rate this podcast on any directory you're listening on. And do us a favor, recommend this podcast to one scientific or non-scientific friend. If you have an idea for an episode or you just want to tell us something, send us a note at info at jgrcommunications.com. Thanks for listening.